Welcome to the Joplin and Andrea podcast, where we discuss all things faith, family, and fun. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Joplin Emerson, and here is my co-host and lovely wife, Andrea. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. We have a good lineup for you. We're going to start off with parenting with a purpose, raising children to become emotionally, financially, and spiritually healthy adults. Um, That's number one. Number two is why did Jesus compare the Canaanite woman to a dog? Number three, remembering 9-11. And um, the fourth topic is our fun topic, the best prank that has ever been pulled on. So those are our topics for today. Uh, Let's get started. All right, we're going to start off today with our family topic, and we want to discuss parenting with an emphasis on raising successful young adults. So ultimately, the goal in raising children is to uh, hopefully be able to see them become successful young adults. And so, Andrea, uh, today we're going to look at three kind of categories. How do you raise them to be financially um, independent? smart in their financial decisions, how do you raise children who grow up to become emotionally healthy adults, and um, we're going to close with this section out with how do you uh, raise up spiritually strong children. So first of all, first question to you, uh, what tips do you have for parents in helping raise children to become financially independent, to make financially wise decisions when they get out on their own, they start handling money? Um, well, first of all, I think with the financial portion, we have to teach them they need a job. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> they need to be making money somehow. So um, anyway, but um, that is, it's really important because a lot of times when we're young, we don't think about things like that. When I was young, I wasn't thinking along those lines. And so I think it's important as us as parents to invest. And um, one of the ways that we can invest into them is help them to have ownership in things. And so I know with experience of our own kids, that has become really helpful. Um, for instance, our middle daughter just got a car. She's invested some money into it. She takes good care of it. She doesn't want you to leave stuff in it. She wants you to, you know, help her take good care of it. Our older daughter's had a job now for about two years and she's, she's made some pretty big purchases and she wants to take care of those things. Um, we've also encouraged her, um, and helped her to see the long-term picture of, um, if she will invest a little bit right now, what the outcome will be later in life. And so, um, she's invested monthly a significant amount of money into this, um, investment and she has a good amount of money saved. A Roth IRA. Yeah. Yeah. She's, we had her opened up a Roth IRA when she was 16 and has been investing in it for two years. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, that's, that's really neat. And I know originally when we were saying, Hey, let's, let's, you know, encourage you to put this money in there. She's kind of like, ah, that's a lot of money. But today she can say that is a lot of money. And so it's really cool how that's kind of turned around. Um, another thing that we don't always think about, but, um, Hallie, our middle daughter, and I'm talking about them because they're old enough to have jobs, um, has, uh, invested for the last two years in going on missions trips. And so she's had to actually get jobs, side jobs, do things, um, make money. And so that's a value to her. And so that's really cool because she, she loves that. And so she wants to invest in it. And, um, all the more we've encouraged her to do that because her heart's set at that. So, um, those are, those are a great thing. And then also just letting them make the hard mistakes, maybe spend some money, do some foolish things and then help them see, um, you know, how you can fix it or, why it's not wise to do that. So that's that's my thoughts on it. What about you? Well, I think the key is just um, teaching your kids how to handle money at, you know, different stages of their life. 
And I think that there's two extremes, you know, uh, the one extreme is what most parents tend to do in our culture. And that's just buy everything. Kids don't ever have to work for nothing. Everything they want is just given to them. Um, I think that's a really bad way to set people up for financial failure when they, mm-hmm. when they get older and get out on their own. And the other is I've seen parents see, well, that's an issue and they're kind of extreme and the way that they handle, you know, making their kids earn their own money. And, um, you know, I just think there's some wisdom in finding ways. If you've got kids, find ways to let them handle money themselves. Let them feel what it's like to not be able to purchase from time to time because they don't have money, but create ways for them to do it. You know, as parents, there's things that you're going to be purchasing, whether you like it or not, for your kids. Uh, you can't send your kids to school with, you know, clothes that are, um, you know, got a bunch of holes in it and three inches short and um, the same exact shirt every single day. And then tell the teacher, well, we're not letting little Johnny get new clothes because he hasn't made him enough money to buy his own. That's a bad idea. So you're going to be buying clothes or certain things you're going to be buying for your kids. Find ways to make them earn the money and then let them buy it themselves. And yeah. one of the hesitancies I've seen with parents that have done this, say you got to get your kids some shoes and, you know, shoes can be expensive. Yes, you can get can. them on a deal sometimes, spend 20 bucks on some shoes. Sometimes you're spending as much as 50, 60, $70 on shoes or even more when you got kids that are uh, doing athletics and get into high school and are playing sports. Or they just see something super cool they need. They think they need it, especially <laughs> in those moments. They need to be spending their own money. But here, here's my point. If you're going to drop 50 bucks on shoes... Make your kid rake some leaves and and let him earn the money himself and then let him go purchase shoes within the realm of the money that he has. And I've heard parents say, well, it only took him an hour to rake the leaves. I never got paid 50 bucks an hour. Well, if you don't do something similar, you're going to end up paying him 50 bucks for nothing. And you're never actually teaching them how to handle finances. And so start somewhere. I guess that's my advice. Let your children learn how to save uh, and actually spend money that they make. And one of the things I've always done as a parent is we pay pretty good. We do. For the exact reason that I just said. Um, Half the stuff they're going to have to buy, we would be buying anyways. And so we pay pretty good. And one of the things that I hope that instilled in my children and hope that it has is a desire to get paid good when they get out of school and to get a job that actually pays enough to, um, you know, pay the bills and do whatever else they want to do. So anyways, that's my advice on, uh, yeah, raising kids to be financially wise. I think that uh, maybe in the future, we could take an entire podcast and just deal with some financial stuff. It's one of the things that um, God's gifted us with over the years is to take what little we have and find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, we don't have enough time to really dig any further into this today. Hopefully those are some good, helpful tips for you guys out there with your kids. Um, yeah. all right. Next up is, um, how do you raise kids to grow up to become emotionally healthy, healthy adults? Okay. Go all right. It. Um, I've got a couple of specific things that I want to uh, recommend today. In fact, I'm going to give, uh, two points with young children and then two tips with older children. But before I talk about kids, you know, parents raising kids to be emotionally healthy when they become young adults, let me just say what kind of seems obvious, and that is that the parents need to be emotionally healthy first. They're, yeah. Our kids learn from our example uh, how we live, how we behave, how we react. 
probably more than anything else that that we teach them. And so uh, while I've got a couple of tips here for um, helping your young ones stay emotionally healthy, helping your teens stay emotionally healthy, mom and dad, it starts with you. And if there are some things in your life that you've got to get right, some, you know, if you're just, uh, if you need some, some help, we encourage you to do what it takes to, so that you're emotionally healthy. So that when you start teaching your children these principles, it's coming from a place that they can see it modeled in the home. Yeah. All right. So assuming that that's in place, let's talk about some things that you can do. First of all, with young children, uh, they need to hear that they are good, that they are loved. And that their parents are proud of them. They need to hear that regularly. And especially when um, our kids were little, when I say little, like grade school-ish, I tried to make it a point to say those words at least once a day. I just think it's important that children hear that. They need to know they're loved. They need to know that, um, that they're good. You know, sometimes it was simple as, you know, you're a good boy or a good girl. I love you and we're really proud of you. Children need to hear those words from their parents. They need to hear it on a regular basis, and they need to be more than words. I mean, we need to demonstrate that to them. And little side note, I think it's especially important that children hear those words from their father. These are not the things, the type of words that a lot of men are real comfortable saying, but you will never know how important it is for your children to hear them from the father. And it's not that it's unimportant to hear it from the mother. I would just argue that mothers tend to say these things a little more frequently. It comes a little more naturally. Mm -hmm. And um, most children know that mom loves them, that mom's proud of them, that mom adores them. They're not real sure about dad. And so it's really important that you dads out there are telling your kids these things. Second tip with uh, young children is they need consistent discipline if they're going to be emotionally healthy. Uh, Kids actually desire boundaries. They need to know where the line is. Uh, They're learning what is right and what is wrong. And we have too many disengaged parents in this culture that they just, they're not up to the task of parenting. And parenting is hard work. Sometimes we have to be the ones that say, this is the line. You don't cross it and there will be trouble when it comes. I want to uh, emphasize the word consistent in our discipline. The worst thing you can do for your kids is lie to them all the time. Tell them, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't, and then you count to 17, and you don't. Uh, Your children are not mind readers. Uh, What they end up learning is that you don't actually mean anything you ever say, and that the only time you actually follow through is when you become irritated or you're frustrated. Well, this is really confusing for children. It's an emotionally um, unhealthy thing for kids. And so discipline needs to be consistent. There needs to be a sense of when this line is crossed, there is a discipline that follows. And I'm not going to get into what those disciplines necessarily need to look like in your home, not today on this podcast. Maybe something else we can pick up on another podcast down the road and really dig into it. But it needs to be uh, consistent. And I want to say this. I think it's important in a world where discipline is almost looked at as a bad thing. And uh, no wonder that these young people are out burning and rioting and um, tearing down our buildings because many of these people grew up without ever any discipline in their life at all. Um, That said, when discipline's done correctly, it actually gives us a sense that we matter, that our life matters. When somebody says, you know, hey, I expect more out of you than that, 
in essence, what we're saying is you're a good kid. And I, and I'm not going to allow you to uh, behave this way, treat people this way, be mean to your teacher, be mean to other kids, treat your mom this way, treat your dad this way, lie, hurt, steal, whatever it may be, because I expect more out of you than that. And you will find that when we actually step in and say these are things that are just wrong and when you do them there will be consequences, it actually sends the message to the child that we believe in that child so much so that we're not going to allow him or her to live in a way that is just not right. And so mm-hmm. um, that's little kids. I've got a couple of thoughts, uh, two tips on dealing with uh, teens. You got any uh, thing you want to add there on just kind of with young children? Uh, the only thing I was just going to add was that what you said is so important because I know when our kids were young, I didn't, I was the one that was, you know, let me count to three for the first, you know, little bit of their lives. And then I wouldn't do anything um, because I just didn't see the importance of it. And it wasn't until a little bit later that I did see the importance of it. And now that they're much older, um, you know, I see how much even more important it was then. And so um, I just think that that that's a great tip. And that often when you're a new parent, you don't think about it. You really don't. I mean, my thing wasn't that I wanted them to behave that way because I didn't want them to behave that way. I just also didn't want to be the bad guy. I just wanted them to fix it. And so um, that's that's an excellent tip that I was able to help pick up and realize the importance of it. So, Amen. Yeah. Okay. So things change a little bit when they start to get older. Uh, mm-hmm. when, and so I want to talk about parenting now when your kids kind of transition into those teenage years. Uh, what they need to hear becomes different. It's not that they no longer need to hear that they're loved or that you're proud of them or that they're good boys and girls. They still need to hear those things, but... They need to begin to hear more. Um, Girls need to hear that they are loved and that they're lovely. And boys need to hear that they are respectable young men. And so um, as your teens get older, as your kids, let me rephrase that, as your kids get older and become teens, you got to remember that your uh, discussions with them need to become more adult-like. And you think about the things that you need to hear as an adult that help you emotionally stay on track um, and not fall apart in a world that's full of chaos. Your kids are going to need to hear some very similar things. And I think it's really important that fathers um, are willing to engage in conversations with their daughters because they're at that age where um, they want to feel lovely. uh, They want to feel like Somebody wants to talk with them and engage uh, in conversation with them. And um, it's just important that they have that with their dads and their moms. But um, you'll find that dads that have regular conversations with their daughters and let their daughters know that, that they're loved and that they're lovely, that these daughters tend to make better choices a lot of times in um, how they handle the whole boyfriend scene. Um, and so and then boys need to hear that they're respectable young men. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a certain part of transitioning, even with young boys where you've, uh, excuse me, young teens, that uh, you need to start showing them a degree of respect the same way you would, um, you know, dad or or the husband in the home, because God created men to need respect. He created women, especially to need love. And we need to learn to start thinking to communicate in those terms with our teens And then um, on the backside of discipline, discipline is necessary with teens, but 
listen to me when I tell you this, it really begins to look more like coaching once they become young adults, teenagers, than discipline. And what I mean by that is there comes a time that we have to get our kids ready for the world that's ahead of them. We can't make their decisions for them. Um, There's going to come a time they're at work and uh, when they disobey their boss or get snappy, it's not like the boss is going to take them out in the back and give them a spanking. And so um, discipline changes and how the consequences of our poor actions change as we become adults. And there needs to be this kind of transitioning in how we handle our teens that prepares them for what adulthood is going to look like. And uh, sometimes that means helping them make adult decisions, but allowing them to deal with adult consequences. Yeah. And um, and so th- that would be my tips, I guess, on uh, helping your kids be emotionally healthy, raising emotionally healthy kids. Today's kind of a uh, what I would call a shotgun um, blast, just a quick bullet points of uh, some things you can put in practice at home. I really feel like we need to take all of these and build an entire podcast around them where we can develop these further. But um, I also want to say before moving on, physical health matters as well. There's a connection to physical health and emotional health. Um, it's not like we need to raise kids that are all you know CrossFit masters in the gym. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, we have a responsibility as well to be helping our children um, just get proper nutrition, uh, have some degree of active lifestyle so that they're not sitting in front of a screen, you know, eight hours a day um, playing video games. And so physical health has some tie there as well. Um, all right, Andrew. So now we're going to talk about this um, big question of spirituality. You know, how do we raise kids? to become spiritually strong adults? Um, the first thing that I would say is prayer. We need to pray for them. And um, I learned, you know, thankfully early on how important that was that often God can do things I can't. And so if my kid's right. struggling in a certain area or my kids has a behavior or my kid has an attitude or a bad friendship or, or whatever that looks like, um, you know, to really just bathe that situation in prayer and, and continual prayer because there's always something your kid's battling. Um, and so just to be prayerful over our kids and be specific with those needs. And so I just can't stress how much I, I try to put that one into play probably more than anything else, just because God can do those things. I can't. Um, and then I would also say that we need to give them, uh, grace to fail grace to um, make poor decisions, grace to maybe not be doing the things that we think and just try to gently guide them back on track and remind them that, you know, they do need to ultimately wrap things around God. But when they get older, those decisions become their own. And so you can do what you can as a parent and you need to, but you also, they're developing. And so yeah, giving I, them- I want to chime in there and say, that is such an awesome point about the grace to make mistakes. Because if if you are so rigid in your your spirituality and your faith, your Christianity, if you're so rigid yeah. in it that your child ends up learning how to pretend, pretend they love God, pretend they make all the right decisions, um, if they are, if, if everything is is done in a way that they actually have to lie and feel compelled to lie when they've made a poor decision. 
and they begin this routine of being somebody else when they're not around mom and dad and when they're not around church and then they get around church and they have to act like something. This sets them up for the wrong understanding of Christianity, the wrong understanding of God. And a lot of these children that are raised in these types of um, hyper-legalist Christian homes, a lot of them end up just going wild in the utterly wrong direction by, you know, as soon as they're able to get out of the house. And so I think that is great words of wisdom. I just can't say exclamation point, exclamation point enough. Give your kids grace um, to make mistakes. Know that they're going to. They're humans. They're sinners by nature. And so work with them through that Mm -hmm. instead of making them terrified to ever talk about it and terrified of what happens when they fall. Didn't mean to steal your section there, but go ahead. What else you got? Um, And then lastly, I was just going to encourage the listeners that our kids need to be in church. You're a Christian home and they need to be in church. Amen. Even if their heart is still struggling with where they're at with Christ, they need to be in a spot where they are seeing their um, peers serving God. And some of them are struggling, but it's okay because we all struggle. And so let them see that. They need to be around people that are going to mentor them and that they can be there. They need to have the opportunity for God's word to speak to them. And um, so I see that so often, you know, when kids start to struggle or maybe even a family struggles and they just quit. And um, that's the worst thing they could do because everybody needs that. Even if you're not going to go tell your business to everybody, which you shouldn't, um, your family needs that support, that love, that just knowing we're all in this life together and we all have struggles. And so I just think that that is that's really important, too. Yeah. Amen. I'll just add to that and say that uh, in a world that is filled with social media, um, video media, the influence that is constantly after your sons and daughters, having some Bible that hasn't been dusted off in a few years sitting on a shelf in your your house, it isn't going to get it done when it comes to raising kids that end up to be spiritually strong. Listening to a couple of Christian songs in the, in, in the car while you're on your way to ball games, it ain't going to get it done. You have got to get serious about serving Jesus, about being committed to your local church, and yeah. having your kids be part of that with you. Uh, they need to be um, around as much positive, encouraging, Christian influence, biblical teaching as possible. They need solid friends that's parents are headed in the same direction. Uh, you cannot just hope that somehow you can neglect your duty as a parent to be teaching your children and raising them up in the ways of the Lord. You cannot just hope that you can neglect that and that somehow your children are going to grow up to be followers of Christ because really, once again, as I said it earlier, your children learn from your example more than anything else you do. Mm-hmm. So absolutely be in church. Um, and um, I'll tell you this, it, we've been doing raising kids now for a long time our oldest one turns 18 18 yeah turning 18 she's a senior in high school this year and um i can just chase a little bit of everything there is no magic bullet it's a little bit of how we raise them in the home it's a little bit of the way that we pray when we go to bed every night it's a little bit of the you know the the fundamentals of the scriptures that we've taught with them it's a little bit of the deep talks that we've had it's a little bit of Constantly being in church. It's a little bit of having the right Christian friends in their life. It's a little bit of everything. And you take it all and you put it together and you start to see this has an impact on these children. And it's it's helped them come to know Christ at, um, before 
they're out of the house. So, all right, what's next? All right, let's get started with the face section. And today we have a question from one of our listeners. The question is, in Matthew 15, 22 through 27, is a difficult passage for me to understand. When Jesus being harsh towards a woman because she was a Canaanite woman, because she was not of the household of faith of Israel, or... Sorry, let me start that over. Was Jesus being harsh to the woman because she was a Canaanite woman, because she was not of the house household of faith of the house of Israel, or was he testing her faith? His words toward her is this. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Seem like a harsh, but in verse 28, Jesus tells her, O woman, great is your faith and healed her daughter. So was this Jesus just a test of her faith because she was a Canaanite? All right. So yeah, the passage here is Matthew 15. And it's a great question because just about everybody that reads it through the first time or two is wondering what is going on. Why does Jesus compare this woman to a dog? It seems very out of his character. And so um, I think as we work through it, you're going to find this is actually a easier answer than what you might have anticipated. Uh, so we've got a woman that is a Gentile from the land of Canaan, and she comes because she's got a demon-possessed daughter. She comes in uh, to Jesus for help. I want you to notice in the text, I'm not going to read it all to you here for lack of time, but in Matthew chapter 15, you'll find the story in verses 21 through 28. And she addresses Jesus as these, as the Lord, the son of David. Now, here's what's interesting about that. That is a specific messianic title to the Jewish people. So she shows up, she addresses him under this messianic title that really her people didn't believe in. But she's got a need. She knows all this talk about who Jesus might be is has made it to their their land as well. And so she she finds out where Jesus is and thinks I can go to him and get this guy they all think's the Messiah to heal my daughter. And so Jesus doesn't even address her. In fact, he doesn't speak a word to her when she refers to him in that title. You need to understand that's how this whole passage starts. Um, eventually she's continuing to, to plead with him. He's not talking to her. And the disciples then, it says they pleaded with him to send her away. But when you look at the text, it's almost like his disciples were saying to him, just heal her and get her out of here, Lord. Because Jesus's response was that he came to the lost sheep of Israel. And so that's an odd response if the disciples weren't insinuating or asking, just heal her and send her away. So let's look at the progression. This Gentile woman shows up. She's not a Jewish believer. She doesn't believe in the Jewish Messiah. She shows up, addresses him by his messianic title and says, hey, my daughter's demon possessed. Can you heal her? Jesus doesn't respond to that. Then the uh, disciples kind of get annoyed. They're like, Jesus, come on, let's get her out of here. Just heal her. Send her on her way. Give her a wish. Jesus says, I was not sent to the Gentiles, but to the Jews. And let me explain what that means. It's not that Jesus didn't come for the whole world because he did, but his purpose when he came here to earth the first time was twofold. The ultimate thing was to die for the sins of mankind. But before that happened, 
That was what Jesus's life culminated in, his death and resurrection. Before that happened, he really came as a judgment against the Jewish people who had would ultimately reject their own Messiah. And who for years, you go read the Old Testament, years and years and years and years, they rejected the word of God. And we see in John chapter one that the word became flesh and that even his own people rejected him. And so this process of being rejected as the Messiah had not been completed yet. And Jesus is saying, my time to be this healer to the Gentiles, it hasn't come yet. I was here first to deal with the Jewish people. Then the woman, she overhears, she's listening to this conversation with Jesus and his disciples, and she says, um, in essence, but even at the master's table, the dogs get crumbs. Remember, she's the one that ultimately um, recognizes that she fits into this category. And Jesus says, it's not, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. That was his point, right? I was here first to to come and bless Israel, even though they're not going to receive it. And it wouldn't be right because they haven't received it yet. They ha- It wouldn't be right to take it and give it to someone else. And she says, well, but even in the house, a lot of times the dogs get crumbs. And this place of humbling herself is really where the entire story changes. Don't forget that while he makes this strange statement about dogs, he ultimately heals her. And so um, he says to the, he says this to her that she had great faith. There's only two times that Jesus talked of people having great faith, and this was one of them. He does indeed make the word her daughter is delivered of that demon the very hour. And so what we see is kind of this threefold test that took place. First of all, the sincerity of her belief. You know, you just kind of come in and saying, "Oh, you know the the the." The son of David is this messianic title of a God you don't actually believe in. Um, we saw the test of her intensity. Was she willing to just walk away as soon as it was kind of, you know, he's not going to answer to that. Um, that's not how she would really refer to him. So she stays. We see that she was sincere. And then we see her own integrity, that she's willing to humble herself and say, I don't care where I fit in the family as long as I can be part of it. And if I can be part of this family, even the crumbs are enough for me. Now, here's the awesome thing about this passage. When you take that last sentence I said, here's what we learned. It don't matter who you are, where you're at, how far you might feel from the family of God. Even the crumbs of the blessings that flow from God are enough, more than sufficient to meet our every need. And Jesus did meet the need of this woman. No, this was not a derogatory thing to her. No, Jesus is not comparing women with dogs. That's not at all what is going on here. Uh, So hopefully that answers the question. It's a great question. Appreciate the writer that wrote that in. want to remind all of you that if you've got questions or topics you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, please go to joplinandandrea.com and send us your question using the contact form. All right, we are going to talk now. Today is September 11th. Yeah. 19-year anniversary of um, the attack on the World Trade Center towers. And that's what we're most familiar with, but that wasn't the only attack. There were two other planes, you Mm -hmm. might remember. One that went down near the Pentagon, and then one that some brave passengers uh, ended up fighting off the jihadists and 
man, they tried to land the plane on their own and tragically it crashed and everybody died. But uh, they did keep that plane from mm-hmm. flying into any other building to killing a bunch of other people. Yeah. And so today is a 19-year anniversary of that. We want to take a few minutes here to remember 9-11. Andrea, where were you on that day? First of all, time goes so fast, it doesn't seem like it was 19 years ago. Um, but I was actually working at a bank. I worked at First State Bank and Trust, and I remember sitting at a teller station, and um, we didn't have TV on, but we had radio over the intercom, and you could just hear um, the uncertainty of everything that actually was happening. And I remember I worked with a good friend of mine. And um, so then we kind of just were trying to sort it out, figure it out. And it, it kind of set you on edge because we were thinking, okay, what's next? And then you would hear now there's another one, you know, trying to attack another place. And so anyway, I just, that's where I was at that day. And I remember just, it became very unsettling after, after that for I was working um, as in a body shop at that point in time. I used to, to paint cars and trucks, and it was so surreal. It mm-hmm. just it did not seem real. Uh, we had a TV that was on in the office, and I remember it's on the news. We're not sure what happened. A plane flew into one of the towers, and then the second one hit while we were watching news live. And it was at that moment that it was absolutely clear we'd been attacked by terrorists. Yeah. And it was it's a moment I will never, ever forget. How did it impact you in the weeks and months and years that followed? Um, well, just you constantly think about it. I was constantly thinking about it. It was on on my mind because you realize that somebody does have the power to do that. Somehow they made it through security. Somehow they made it through something. Somehow they worked together with somebody. And, and so it just became reality to me what a terrorist could do. And so um, even to this day, sometimes I think about different things in different settings and um, just be, my, my awareness of just what could be done is more aware, I guess, and makes you think about it more. Well, everything changed, obviously, in how they did um, security and have done security since then. I will tell you one of the major things that happened for me was I had to do some real soul searching on whether or not I was going to live my life in fear. Yeah. Because as horrible of the act was, the goal wasn't just to impact us that day. It was to cause us as Americans to live in fear, to never want to travel again, to be afraid to go and live our lives and to be afraid to get on planes and buses. And I had to make a conscious decision. I would rather die than live my life a coward, constantly living in fear. You know, the Bible tells us that in the end, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Mm-hmm. I'm watching it happen today. People are terrified to speak up the tr- for the truth. Yeah. Uh, people are terrified of a virus that has a 99.96% survival rate. We are utterly controlled by fear. I remember that period of time, there was a lot of fear in our country. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of people that were afraid to travel again. I also saw the best in America as we came together. Yes. And yeah. man, we need that to happen so much now. We need God to heal our land. Uh, and if, that's what, that was the shining light mm-hmm. of 9-11 was the way that we as Americans came together to support one another, to rebuild and uh, we were one nation under God, indivisible, yeah. with liberty and justice for all. Yes. 
in the days and, and months and years really that followed 9-11. And man, we it's like we've forgotten. 20 years have gone by. We've had a whole other generation that's just grown up only hearing about it and we have forgotten. Yeah. And so that leads me to our final question here on you know topic for our 9-11 um, thoughts is what lessons do we need to remember today mm-hmm. that um, are really important that as, as we're looking back on 9-11? Um, one thing I just wanted to add real quick too was about seven or eight years ago, we had the opportunity to go to New York and we got to see where the trade towers were at and there's a memorial there and just, it was, it became so much more real to yeah. go down there to that location. If you've and see, never been, you got to go. Yeah. Just see the tribute that they have, see the actual size of the building that came down and how it infected the it names of everybody the entire, who died there. Yeah, the yeah. entire city and how, I mean, we were facing what we were here, but there it was a whole different scenario yeah. and there were so many lives that were taken. And so anyway, if you ever have the opportunity to go, it is it is life changing to see. And so um, what do we need to do today? So today I would just say um, for me personally, your fear conversation was really good just to remember that, you know, God's ultimately in control of everything. And that, um, you know, if I'm doing everything I can to live for him and serve him, that I'm not even guaranteed tomorrow anyway. Um, you know, I could get in a car wreck and my life could be taken that way. So just live, live each day for its own and to be thankful that we live in a country that's free. Um, we've, traveled overseas several places and you see a whole lot more rioting there and you see a whole lot more things there that go on where there's bombing or, you know, different things, um, that are corrupt. And so just the remembrance to not take our freedom for granted, because it is an incredible thing to live in a country that's free, that we have military out there daily each, each day to help, help us maintain that. I would say that, um, we need to remember that there are multitudes of people that hate America and want us to fall. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we need people in government that care about America, that love this country, and that want to keep this country safe. The number has been mind blowing to me this hatred for our country. We're even voting in politicians these days that are really anti American, they're proud of it, they shame America all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, our country is suffering. Mm -hmm. You look at the rioting and the chaos that's happened over the last four or five months. It's all under the false disguise of police brutality, which is a lie. Uh, Does police brutality ever happen? Yes. Is it an incredibly small percentage of the millions of times that they have to deal with conflict? Yes. Minuscule. Um, This narrative of the way that Everything that's happening right now, this chaos in our country, comes from an absolute hatred for our country and everything that we stand in. That's why people are trying to burn it to the ground. And we need to take note on this 19-year anniversary of 9-11. Man, we need patriots to raise up. We need people to be brave enough to speak up. Um, And we can't allow our hearts to fail us because of fear. We need some courageous men and women that are willing to stand up, run for office, speak the truth, call people out for the hypocrisy of, of uh, you know, claiming that on one hand they're, they want to be our government leaders. On the other hand, they say nothing about the riots and the chaos and bur- buildings burning down. And we need people 
to stand up for what is right and for what is true. And if not, we're going to continue to see this nation be picked apart, which is the goal of this nation's enemies. And we've seen Mm -hmm. that somehow these enemies have been born within. They've been brought in from other countries, some of them. Um, But a lot of it is happening with indoctrination. It's happening even in our public school systems and our uh, colleges. And now we look around and the country is burning. It is time to put a stop to it. And that's the one thing I'd say we better learn from 9-11, that um, history will repeat itself if we are not uh, diligent and vigilant to fight against the evils that want to destroy this great nation. So that is my rant from my soapbox on uh, this day of 9-11. Yeah. All right, Andrea, let's close with something right. way more lighthearted. Let's move to our fun section of the podcast. What are we talking about today? All right, our fun section. Um, we are talking to start off, we're talking about commercials. And um, I have like several commercials that always play in my head and they're real catchy and you don't even have the intention of learning these commercials, what you do. And if you all thought about it, you probably know a whole lot more than what you think. Um, do you have any commercials right off that you can think of? No, this is a really okay. strange uh, thing. I, I, okay. I didn't even know these gonna, commercials went around in your head. So let's uh, let me hear, let me start off. I'm going to start off a couple things, and I want to see if you can get it. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. I can't say the two first words of this, so you're just going to have to get it. Gives you more. Call five two four two four two four. You know what that is? Uh. The... See, you know it. Though. I know it. I know it. Uh. Starlight Drive-In. Oh, Starlight yes, Drive-In. Yeah, see? I was looking for a TV commercial. That's a radio commercial. Yeah. So that's where I was a little off there. These are commercials all across. Yeah, just okay. commercials in general. I would have nailed it if I would have known. Oh, I was my trying gosh. To figure I don't out. know if you would have nailed oh, it. Would've you would have had it. Because I was thinking, I know that one. That's a Starlight Drive-In. But then I was trying no, to picture with no, a no, TV no. commercial. Yeah. All right, let's go. Number two. Let's try another okay. one. Let's see. What do you got here? Okay, ready? Um, the next one is Like a Good Neighbor... Kit Kat bar. Uh-uh. No. State Farm. State Farm. Yes. You're right. I knew that one. Jake from State Farm. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. And then this one I haven't heard in a long time, but when we were younger, this one was on TV a lot. Okay. Um, one day, one night, Saturday's all right. Online's just fine. Nighttime, anytime. You know what? Get your degree. Set yourself free. Out of college. National American University. Wow. You're you welcome. Should, I know you should I can do commercials. T- like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so um, anyway. Wow. Okay. I This is just a slogan, but I'm going to throw it out there. It's uh, a choice of a new generation. It's a choice you know of a new is? generation. Yeah. Um, Reebok. Pepsi. Pepsi. Oh. It was close. It was close. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so wow. see, you, uh, okay. I, I heard the statement on the radio a while back, and it was like, you learn thousands of songs, that you, lyrics that you never even dreamed you'd learn just by listening to the repetitiveness of it. And Anyway, so then I was thinking, wow, look R- at all these quickly, commercials I know. Real quickly, how well did these work? How many times have you gone to Starlight like because that tune was in your head? I don't know. Not like, probably not. Any but I know some? the tune, and if some? somebody wants to know the phone number, I can be like, You got it. Okay, very good. Five, two, four, um, two, four, two, four. All right. So now we're talking about the funniest pranks we've ever had done. Yes. 
This is not actually a funny section, and funny is a matter of penny, because I don't think they're funny. It is. It's not. It's not funny. It is. Let me tell you what came in second place. Okay. Had some ladies at a hair salon call me one day and tell me that this guy had walked in. He was real suicidal. They tried to talk with him, but they didn't feel like they really got anywhere, and they are actually nervous that he's going to kill himself. They asked him if he'd be willing to meet with me and talk with me. And um, he said he would. And so they asked if I could call him. And they gave me the number. It's a number, Wichita number. Sounds legit. I call. And his name, they couldn't remember his first name. They just uh, were pretty sure his last name was Lyons. And so I call this number. And uh, it's the Sedgwick County Zoo. <laughs> and they answer, hello, can I help you? And I'm on the line about ready to ask if Mr. Lyons is there. And I know I've been had. And I've got somebody on the line, and I'm uh-huh. I, I'm froze. I don't know how to answer. I'm like, oh, I think I have the wrong number. So uh, these that was pretty funny. Ladies at the hair salon really got me pretty good, but that is not the worst. Andrew, tell us, tell our listeners the most awful thing that has ever <laughs> happened to me. Okay, well, Joplin and Hallie were out of town um, at a Gideon conference in California, and. Um, Meantime, I have Michaela back here and she's tried to get her permit at the driver's license place. And so I take her up there to get a permit. And so she passes. We're all like, yay, Joplin's gone. She can drive our cars now. Well, if you know Joplin, his truck is like immaculate. You don't eat in it. You don't drink in it. Really, you shouldn't sit in it, but it's necessary. So you you do get to sit in it. This is true. Um, And so anyway, I knew a police officer friend of mine (laughs) and we were like wouldn't that be really funny if we got Michaela in Joplin's truck with a police pulling us over and then tell him that she got a really big ticket in the truck and so like all of it was just kind of all the things that he was like oh my gosh no and so anyway we did we had this like fake stage set up in a parking lot and the lights are on and Tyron's in the back seat like going oh my gosh, he has this face like he can't believe we're getting pulled over and we're in dad's truck. And so anyway, um, we sent him this picture and told her that told him that she got pulled over in the truck and that she was going like 45 and a 30. And needless to say, he was not happy. No, I wasn't happy at all. It was a real ticket. The cop wrote a ticket. Obviously, he didn't turn it in because the whole thing was staged. But they sent me a picture <laughs> of the ticket. It shows she's doing like 47 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone in my truck and I'm just really mad. Like she's only been driving for a few hours hours. (laughs) and I was actually mad at Andrew the most. I'm just thinking, how could you let her go that fast? You're the parent, you're in the front seat. And I was mad she was driving my truck that fast. I don't understand why she's driving my truck to start with. But the worst part is how do you go 47 miles an hour in the middle of town and I was, it just wasn't the, funny the at all. The funniest portion thinking, was we blew the mileage sure? like so far up there that it wasn't even unbelievable, but. But there's a ticket. believed it. Yeah, it's unbelievable that you would be driving that fast in the middle of a town in a 30 mile an hour zone, but there was a real ticket. There was a cop back there with his lights on. <laughs> I'm like, I just cannot understand how this could happen. I was really upset and. It ruined my day for almost two hours. They just let it go. They weren't like, oh, this is <laughs> this is a joke. We're kidding. 
And finally, my daughter texts back home and tells Andrea that I'm really mad. The daughter that's with her. The one that's with yep. me, yeah, out of this conference. So she texts me and tells me it's a joke. And the whole thing was staged. The whole thing was set up. And they thought it was the funniest thing that had we ever did. happened. We did. I didn't think it's you'd not even believe funny. it in the first place. So it was How could I not believe it? it? There's a ticket. Sounds like there's a little, a a little uh, hostility right now. See, it's not funny, people. This is not funny. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was horrible. You weren't even here for it. Oh, my goodness. That's true. I was across the country. Trying to enjoy a few days with my daughter. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm being convinced you want to that my about it now. insurance rates are about to skyrocket <laughs> and that somehow my 14 or 15 year old daughter is being allowed to go 50 miles an hour in the middle of town with you sitting in the passenger seat. Like, I just, oh man, I was so mad. Yeah, you want to laugh about it now? Let's do it. <laughs> no, I, it's not funny right now. If it wasn't funny then, it's not funny now. So, um, it's, probably, it's funny to everybody else. It is. Yeah. 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 And you got to admit, it's like the all-time of pranks. You you thought it, it was true, even though it, it was... It, it was the all-time of pranks. Yeah. Nobody you, got hurt. Nobody got hurt, nobody except got hurt. for my feelings a little bit were uh-huh. hurt that uh, for two hours. And, uh. you know... Yeah. Yeah, that's the worst I've ever been pranked, folks. Thanks to this woman right here. Uh, she is the one that did it, brainchild of that prank, and since then has never been able to pull another one off quite like it. But I'm uh, kind of afraid to. That's that was the epic of all pranks. Yeah. Happy pranking. Just kidding. <laughs> all right. That's hey, all we are we out of time. We love you guys. We hope y'all have a wonderful weekend. God bless. Happy weekend. <laughs>